0: Awesome worship is the craving of many a church hopper these days, or church shopper. Can't say I blame them. Don't know how you feel about that, but even for me, going to church services can sometimes feel about as exciting as watching paint dry, or if you are an American, watching cricket.
1: Welcome to the God-Centered Life with Josh Moody Weekend Edition. We're in a study we're calling Life Is a Question Mark. And then you die, taking a look at the fascinating book of Ecclesiastes. Today's study, God is an Awesome God. Josh Moody, Senior Pastor of College Church in Wheaton, Illinois. We're glad you're joining us for the study today. Josh, I'm a big fan of Randy Alcorn's book, Heaven. Mm-hmm. It answers a lot of questions about what waits for us. But there are two questions that remain outstanding. One... Will there be cricket in heaven? (laughs) And two... Well, I understand it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you have to read the book to find out <laughs> that it doesn't answer those questions. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. Cricket, will there be in heaven? I suppose someone who really loves cricket might feel they're already there, but no, I there's lots of questions, of course, we don't have the answer to about heaven, but we do know most importantly at all that Jesus is there. Indeed. So let's move on to the session-specific <laughs>
1: yep. topic on hand that God is awesome. Uh, apparently, I, I get the sense that we're going to be learning that a lot of us are missing this by doing worship
0: under the sun uh, exactly that we, uh, we and there's this tendency isn't there for us to think in a in a this world uh secular uh, materialistic rather than transcendent way even in the midst of corporate worship and mm. yet and so we're going to explore that and, of course, then point to real meaning. It comes not through this religious pretense that so much of church can feel like, but an authentic spiritual engagement with God himself.
1: Fantastic. Let's head into it. Ecclesiastes 4 through 6 in the focus. Here's Josh.
0: Well, let's stand together as we come now to the Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 through 6. Don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole thing. We're just gonna read from chapter five, one to seven, and that's gonna be the focus this morning, those seven verses, Ecclesiastes chapter five. Let's pray as we come now to the Bible. Father, thank you for your word, and uh, I wanna pray, particularly this morning, that you would help us not only to understand the Bible, but to hear your message for us. And we pray this uh, relying upon the Holy Spirit And in Jesus' name, amen. So friends, Ecclesiastes 5, beginning at verse 1, and I'll read to verse 7. Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth. Nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. God is the one we must fear or stand in awe of. Awesome worship is the craving of many a church hopper these days or church shopper. Can't say I blame them. I don't know how you feel about that, but even for me, going to church services can sometimes feel about as exciting as watching paint dry. Or if you are an American, watching cricket. <laughs> After all, surely if it is God that we're talking about, God we are worshipping, you know, the one who made everything, who knows everything, who can do anything, then the worship experience should at least be interesting. Uh, to coin a phrase, looking at this uh, last Few words here in Ecclesiastes 5 1 to 7, the fear of God. Many people want frighteningly good worship, and that's understandable. The trouble comes with the kind of pressure this is exerting on the contemporary Christian church. As a Charlie Brown cartoon that I once saw said, You can't get anybody to believe in you these days. And so churches are reacting, some of them, by adopting the secularized advertising techniques or marketing feel, or the moral or spiritual equivalent of a campaign or a gig, or if you're really intellectual, a scintillating conference. And so preachers, uh, people like me, look and sound more like talk show hosts than prophets. And if there is any profit in mind, it's purely the bottom line of the spreadsheet, you wonder, cynically. Now in his brutally honest exposure of the futility of modern secular life, Ecclesiastes has already touched on many themes, on many different issues. So he's talked, hasn't he, as we've looked at it together, about that Monday morning feeling, the sense that this rat race is going nowhere, that work is like playing a, a basketball game with no basketball hoops. It's There's no goal, there's no end, no purpose to it. And he's exposed all that is meaningless, a race with no gain in the end. On the other hand, he's also exposed the even greater folly of pure laziness. Uh, Jerome, K. Jerome, in his book, Three Men in a Boat, wrote, I like work, it fascinates me, I can sit and look at it for hours. Ecclesiastes counsels us not to be lazy. Look at the unemployment lines and see whether there is happiness or the occupy movement. But instead enjoy what is before you, whatever the work of your hands may be. Your life, your partner, that that is all there is he's saying under the sun. And so in this secular life, in this life where in ancient cosmology, God was thought in some way to reside sort of up there rather than in the eternal presence of a different dimension of the spirit as as we would today more commonly think. Under the sun, that phrase he uses again and again, is to imply what we would call the purely secular life. That is life without any consideration of any Religious uh, or spiritual dimension at all. That life, he is saying, to put it as boldly as he does, we might say in modern language, it stinks. And so he's encouraging us instead to invest our time in eternity and in God to wean us off life under the sun to life above the sun. And yet now we come this morning to a rather different. Tone and a different piece of writing. It is, the scholars uh, tell us, uh, not part of Ecclesiastes' observation complexes. That is, uh, the way he sees and observes things. Here it's sort of thrust in, a rather different kind of writing, like a man jumping back in a sauna after he has been ice swimming. It's a change of approach. Here is, instead is one of those few occasions where the teacher emerges giving positive advice against the general backdrop of vanity and meaningless. It is, the scholars say, one of his instruction complexes. And he's teaching us something positive about what he wants us to be like rather than negatively what he wants us to see life is like without a spiritual encounter with God and so to encourage us then to seek such an encounter. And you see particular here he is warning what we would call the church or the religious community against acting in religion in worship in exactly the same way as in work under the sun See, it's thrust here, these seven verses, in the midst of three chapters of a context, which is very like ours today, where there is a a secular questioning about the meaning of life all around us, and then comes the question, well, how are we then to do church? You see, the house of God. And Ecclesiastes, you see, is, is warning against, as it were, Doing church under the sun. That is a secularized worship. That is one where there is no real fear of God, but merely a humanized rendition of popular sacraments and ceremonies, but no sense of the reality of the spiritual dimension. Further
1: into the topic of real worship in just a moment. But first, a quick reminder that you're listening to The God Centered Life with Josh Moody, Senior Pastor of College Church, located in Wheaton, Illinois. If your travels bring you our way, we'd love to have you swing by on a Sunday and join us for a service. We'd also love to have you connect with us, and you can do that through our website, GodCenteredLife.org. Back into Ecclesiastes now. Here's Josh.
0: Now, this is by no means a full theology of worship for that. You'd have to go to the New Testament, to the Acts of the Apostles, to Paul's pastoral epistles and all that. Uh, But here we have the distinctness of what you might call transcendent worship, that is above the sun, as opposed to secular, that is under the sun worship. Now, he's not saying... You know, you have to worship a certain way as if he's one of those people who seem to feel that you have to wear black suits in church like Jesus did, you know. Um, no, he, he, he's talking about the need for awe, um, transcendence, and that kind of church is the answer to atheism. Is it really possible to worship in a secular way? Oh, yes, yes. Ecclesiastes says, in fact, that's the great danger in such a context as ours, surrounded by all these questionings about the existence of God and all the rest. So he says, first, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. How first? By going to listen more than to speak. Now, this is really the most essential distinction he's going to make It's foundational to it all, and it comes first in his list of warnings. Guard your steps, he says, verse one, when you go to the house of God. How? Well, to draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they're doing evil. Now, you've got to imagine Ecclesiastes standing at the door of a synagogue or even the temple itself, watching people pile in, thoughtlessly jabbering away to themselves and each other, and then comes this instruction, don't be like that. Don't think you're coming to offer the sacrifice of fools. That is, that you yourself are going to make the worship experience happen. There's a lot of loose terminology about worship, isn't there, that betrays a secularization of our uh, Christian worship in our churches. You see, we do not and cannot do any kind of sacrifice that will lead people into the presence of God. God has already done that in Christ by his death on the cross for our sins. He has done all that is necessary. The sacrifice has been paid. So don't come with a sacrifice of fools. That is thinking, oh, this or that technique will get me closer to God. Only Jesus can get you close to God and faith in him and what he has done. You see, how, do I, how, how then do I grow and, and get closer and nearer to God in my relationship with Jesus? I do it by listening. It is the distinctive of biblical worship that the Bible is heard and listened to. Going to the house of God to listen What does that assume? It assumes revelation. It assumes that God has spoken, that God is not silent, that he is speaking through his word, and therefore we are to listen. If you look at verses four and five, as if by illustration, they are almost a direct quotation from the book of Deuteronomy in the Bible. The word is being read and explained. And then he urges us to listen. He he, he then means it in both senses of listen we are to hear the word and we are to obey the word Samuel says the same thing when he taught to obey or as it is literally in the Hebrew to listen is better than sacrifice so there is this complete change of attitude and approach in the house of God now that house is not the physical building Uh, we are God's people and the temple of the Holy Spirit we are that temple but that does not mean that what we do wherever we meet any less importantly transcendent No, we're to treat the church with care. Be careful in our approach to God in our midst. That is, confess our expectation to hear from him and by going ready to listen. And so Paul tells Timothy to prioritize preaching and teaching. Jesus began his ministry by opening up the prophet Isaiah and saying, today this is fulfilled in your hearing, and each of the letters to the churches of the Ephesians uh, bridgehead in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation in the New Testament begin, These are the words, and end, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the grand mark or distinctive or characteristic of biblical as opposed to secular worship is this commitment to hearing what God has to say through his word. That's how you spot a biblical church. It reminds me of the story of the bishop who heard a minister in his diocese give an impressive sermon and determined to mimic it. At one point the minister had announced the happiest days of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And after a dramatic pause had added in the arms of my mother. After which he had the congregation in rapt attention. Well, the poor bishop announced similarly to a large congregation in his cathedral, the happiest days of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And with the pause creating the effect he desired, the old boy was so pleased that he could not remember what the next line in the gag was. (laughs) So elongated the gap to increasing shock until he was finally forced to add, but I can't for the life of me remember whose. <laughs> now, of course, most Christian worship gives some reverence to the Bible, if only nominally. They have Bibles in their pews. They read from the Bible But biblical Christian worship does not merely revere the Bible ceremonially or theoretically. It listens to the Bible practically, which means it allows time for Bible teaching. It has worshippers who come to hear Bible teaching. It has worshippers who worship God during the week by putting into practice what they hear. Now, you might want to object at this point. Are we really saying that any church service that doesn't have a 40-minute exposition is sub-biblical and secularized by the shape of the world? Well, certainly there is no license here for verbosity. Let your words be few, it says, verse two. Though, as we shall see, that is referring to prayer, not preaching. Still, the point remains. <laughs> Topical sermons. What does God think about sex, sex, Marriage, football, careers, etc., may be non heretical and, in a sense, all very good sometimes. It can be important to do on occasion. But to what extent are we then listening to God's word if they are the regular diet of the church and not instead being shaped by the expectations of what the secular culture wants, letting that culture set the curriculum? Now that doesn't mean we have to be boring or irrelevant. <laughs> Far from it. I and mean, this is God we're talking about. It's God's word. It's living and active. You know. It's a matter of attitude. You see, some of us revere the Bible, but our magisterium, as uh, you know historians would call it, that is our authority, is in practice the Bible and the tradition of our church. Some of us revere the Bible, but our magisterium is what is in the Bible and also what accords with modern reason. Some of us revere the Bible, but our magisterium is what is in the Bible that rings true to our own personal experience. I I know the Bible says this, but I feel that. The Bible tells us all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, 2 Timothy uh, 3.16, meaning we are to see in the Bible the seminal agent of change and the magisterium, that is the authority, for all of life and church practice. For some of us, for still others, the magisterium, the authority is in practice what is in the Bible is relevant to contemporary topics. That's not relevant, I don't want to hear that. Biblical worship centers on God's word. It's his agenda, not mine, not yours. So guard your steps. Second, guard your steps when you go to the house of God by going to do, not just say you're going to do by going to do, not just say you're going to do. And so he writes, doesn't he? Uh, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. He's referring to prayer here and commitments made in prayer or in a prayerful attitude. Perhaps you see he has observed and uh, now is teaching about thousands stream to the front of the old te- in the Old Testament equivalent of an altar call uh, but he cannot see much change in their lifestyle next week or next year. So he says, uh, God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. Jesus says the same thing about prayer. Don't keep on prattling on like pagans, he taught, who think they'll be heard for their many words, but say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now behind all of this then, can you get the sense of it, is this, this concept of, of God as real, and hear who God is. That's what really interweaves all the threads of this passage. Worship is not something we as humans do to God. (laughs) Worship is us receiving from God that then we might be changed to live for God in practice. We are receiving, now we commit to worship him in practice during the week. So he says, don't, he's saying, don't just say it, do it. Therefore, be careful what you say, for God's going to expect all of us to follow through this week.
1: That's Josh Moody, and this is The God-Centered Life. Josh, if I'm tracking with what you're saying, uh, Bible teaching and mm. even, we may say, expositional Bible teaching is
0: worship? That's right, yeah. Oh, from a Christian subculture language point of view. We tend to use worship for the the music bit right. of a worship service, right. but biblically the whole service is intended to be centered upon God, honoring Him, and us receiving from God in that worship. I actually think the announcements in a, in a worship service should be worshipful in, in the sense that they're pointing us to how to worship God outside of the service. But especially the the teaching of God's Word isn't just instruction. It's meant to move our hearts and lead us towards adoration of Jesus, and that is worship.
1: And you've said this before, Josh. Worship is receiving mm-hmm. from God. Yeah. And we expect that in a good musical worship mm-hmm. service to mm-hmm. feel the warm fuzzies but maybe our expectations aren't quite there when it comes to opening the Word, and we yeah. should be hungry. We should be mm-hmm. really looking for something that we
0: can take with us. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when they come to hear Bible teaching, are looking for new information, basically, or I haven't mm-hmm. heard that before, or or mm-hmm. something very practical. Like, that helps me with this part of my life. And, of course, that's fine and useful, but the point of Bible teaching is that we would hear from God. And in hearing from God... Therefore, be led to honor him and worship him. That's the aim. Fantastic. Thank you
1: for that, Josh. We'll continue looking at Ecclesiastes when we get together next time. And we'll do so because folks have partnered with us. Uh, we are listener-supported. And uh, in return for a gift of any amount or perhaps signing up as a monthly contributor, uh, we would love to send you uh, a book by Alistair McGrath that Josh has picked up. You can find out more by going to our website, Life. Next time we get together, letting God be God.
0: And so we have all these people out there who are turned off religion because it's too political or too commercial, too cheesy or too manipulative. Many of whom, when you sit down with them over a coffee, you find they actually believe in God in some sense.
1: Further on into the book of Ecclesiastes, next time, GodCenteredLife.org, your chance to reach out and connect with us, and we'd love to have you join us as we gather on God's Word right here at the God-Centered Life with Josh Moody Weekend Edition.